This is the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP. Hello everybody and welcome to today's edition of the Best Run Podcast. Today with me we have two special guests and we're going to be talking about women in leadership. So welcome to Kirsty and to Peggy. Kirsty is the Chief Sales Officer at Wink. Kirsty is an internationally experienced executive in operations, sales and transformation across FMCG, retail and wholesale businesses, both in the B2B and the B2C space. Peggy is our Senior Vice President of, from the Digital Transformation Office for SAP Asia Pacific Japan. And Peggy is an executive leader in the digital space focused on business transformation and growth and has a key focus on mentoring women and ensuring a diverse workforce. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So what I'd like to do is to have both of you introduce yourselves and give us a bit of background. So Peggy. Yes, I'm uh, Peggy. I'm heading up the Digital Transformation Office for SAP across APJ. And what that is about is um, with the team, we focus on delivering a, a great experience to our customers and helping them with their digital transformation journey and for them to um, achieve their goals and to be successful. Kirsty. So I'm the Chief Sales Officer for a company called Wink, which is W-I-N-C for uh, those that probably are thinking it's a strange facial expression. Um, it stands for Work Incorporated and we provide essentially uh, solutions for everything you, re- you need to run your office environment or your workplace Um formerly Staples and Office Max in terms of the traditional office products platform, but we do way more than that. But that's probably where I'm at today, looking after a sales team of about uh, 550 people across Australia. Wow, that's impressive. So both of you are operating in quite different industries. So Peggy in IT, Kirsty in retail and CPG. So why don't you give us some background as to how you ended up in these industries, Kirsty? I'd like to say I'd planned it. It's happened um, very organically. I actually started off work as a qualified pharmacist. So I was working sort of frontline healthcare provider in the UK and evolved my career through multi-site retail operations to become the retail operations director for a chain of pharmacies, the second biggest chain in the UK called Lloyd's Pharmacy. So we had about 1,600 stores across the UK and I had a team of 16,500 people in that organisation. So fabulous industry and looked for a change um, out of the sector and to broaden my career and broaden my experience outside of the UK. Moved across uh, with Coles to Australia. Uh, So packed up my house, sold my house and put my life on a boat and moved across to Australia five and a half years ago. And uh, following that, I moved from Coles to work for a company, uh, again, back in healthcare, but really in a B2B as opposed to B2C service provision. And uh, almost two years ago now, I moved across to Wink. Change for me in its a private equity environment as opposed to corporate environment. And really a, a sort of change in direction in terms of um, the, the sort of accountability. So looking after a real sales team as opposed to the retail operations environment, where it's much more about, you know, compliance with standards and execution. This is, is quite a different role. Uh, so, yeah, that's the background. But how I got there, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and Peggy, how about yourself? I think for me, it also just happened organically, although I did, I do have a double degree in business and strategic information management. So the whole IT world was kind of familiar 
But uh, I got approached by Arthur Anderson when I was still at university and I started my career with them in IT audits. And the very first uh, system I had to audit was an SAP system. So I became quite interested in how all of that works and then wanted to start implementing it and just instead of just auditing it. And um, I did then business consulting with Arthur Anderson all over Europe. I did a couple of big implementations and then I got approached by SAP to join them. So I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I'll just have free access to all these amazing SAP courses. And that was 19 years ago. And since then, I've been with SAP across, um, it was in Belgium, I was in Germany, did EMEA roles, moved to Australia about 15 years ago, and I'm now in an APJ role for the last two years. I've been with SAP and, and in IT pretty much my whole career, but I've worked in lots of different roles across all these organizations. So would you say that a senior sales role was something you aspired to when you were younger, Peggy? And not really. <laughs> Um, I actually wanted to be um, a pilot. I applied to be part of the Air Force and I got rejected. And um, so IT was kind of my second best thing. Um, at the same time, they were giving away free laptops at university <laughs> if you would sign up to do information management. So that's why I signed up. So. <laughs> uh, but no, sales has always attracted me. And in all the roles I've ever done, if they were not in sales or directly in sales, I've always had a strong affinity for sales and dealing with people and working with customers and really listening to what their needs are, serving them the best way possible and getting to a great outcome both for the customer and for SAP. And Kirsty, how about yourself? Again, similar uh, response to Peggy in that I don't think I ever had sales in my mind when I was younger. Um, Probably like a lot of people, I left school when I was quite young and went to university at the age of 16. I was probably quite um, driven by my parents' influence in terms of what I should do that would give me a good job at the end of it. My brother and I were probably the first people in our family to go through university formally. So it was a big investment from our family to sort of back us and, and support us to do that. And we were very driven to do so. I I was going to say was, but I am a very competitive person uh, naturally when it comes to sports and just in general, I, I love competing for things. And, and that probably is how I ended up in the sales environment, just having you know, a target to smash, um, a goal to achieve and something to get a team galvanised behind, I think is probably why I ended up where I've ended up. But yeah, it wasn't certainly in my in my plans as a youngster. So you both had amazing careers. What would you say would be the biggest challenges you've faced in your career and how you've overcome those? Kirsty? I think as Peggy said, I really enjoy working with people. I get a huge amount of motivation from um, interacting with people in the team people outside of the team with customers, with, you know, partnerships that you have in business. And probably the most uh, difficult challenges have been where there have been people in the organisation who are uh, not on the same page or who are driving their own agenda, either despite other people or just in ignorance of other people. I think alignment in organisations is critical and having people understand what the common goal is and put that first above their own personal goals um, I've come across that probably, you know, over over a handful of times um, where people in senior roles and organisations have been very focused on their own priorities um, and sometimes to the detriment of the organisation. So clearly I won't go into specifics, um, but but in those occasions, I think they've been the most testing because they, they stop the organisation from 
moving effectively to solve common challenges and um, they can be a, a destructive force. But I have to say in every every time I've had that in, in, a, in a work environment, it's been addressed, it's been noted and we've sort of got to the bottom of it and changed the situation. So my advice um, would be make sure you're aligned to the corporate goals and the common targets because otherwise you'll only get so far and then it will change. Peggy, what have been your biggest challenges? I think there's two that come to mind and they're, they're not related to other people or the organisation, they're more related to myself. And the first one would be early on in my career, I think I was too much in my head and I was giving too much importance to the limiting self-beliefs and thoughts I had about myself, which would prevent me from putting up my hand for bigger roles. And I, I look when I look at it back now, um, that was holding me back. And then the other one would be that also uh, linked to my thoughts and how I behave is um, I think I've had a time in my career when uh, the decisions about my next steps were not necessarily made by me, but more by other people I was working with who thought that my career path should be this and this and this. And I think sometimes in those situations, my ego would take over and I would follow other people's advice, not really stopping and thinking about, well, what is it I want and who am I and what am I good at and what gives me um, enjoyment in my day-to-day job. So those two are standing out for me and really working on myself and doing a lot of self-development have always helped me to overcome those. So sales tends to be quite a male-dominated profession. Tell us how you think you've carved a career path in this profession. When I moved to Australia, I never realized that males and females that were different in the career, in the in the professional world. Like I, I still remember vividly in Europe, I would relate to my colleagues the same way, whether they would be, would be male or female. And it was a bit of a shock coming to Australia because things are different or, or were different here. But I've I've kind of always I've always been myself. Like I just say things as I think they are. And when I want something or achieve, I want to achieve something, I would say it as it is. Um, I do think that early on in my career, I was maybe copying some male behaviors and not necessarily being true to myself. But I feel right now that I have the a good mix between, well, who I am and dealing with things as me and not necessarily copying copying those male behaviors anymore. So I feel I've grown a lot and I've learned a lot. But the, the, the standout for me is to just be myself. Great advice. Kirsty, did you want to comment? Uh, yeah, I think there is definitely a view that um, sales is dominated by males. Um, but some of the, the sort of recent Australian work, workforce statistics would say that that balance is actually shifting. Um, within Wink, we actually have a, a slightly skewed dominance towards uh, females. 50, 52% are female versus 48 male. I think the challenge probably in those statistics, though, is usually in the more senior management positions where males continue to, to um, have a dominant position in terms of prevalence in those roles. In terms of my own personal sort of experience, I have to say, it's something that I haven't really put too much thought to in terms of me being a woman versus uh, another person being a male. It's more about your individual contribution, the way that you represent yourself and the organisation you work for. But I've definitely experienced um, throughout my career and especially earlier in my career, 
feeling that it was difficult to have your voice heard. Um, and I know that there's lots of evidence and research that will say that that is a, a proven thing. But again, I think tenacity, I think determination, and I think um, backing yourself to believe that your contribution is as equal value to another is really important. And it's something that I think women can really focus on in terms of their own development to make sure they have strength in that. And I've certainly experienced it with some of the the sort of younger people in our team who sort of come to me for some mentoring and advice um, and, and it's been really helpful for, for me and for them. So Kirsty, do you think then that women need to work harder to get to the more senior roles in sales? On balance, I think it's down to the individual and I think the individual has to take accountability. I think Peggy mentioned, you know, she's reflected in, in some of her sort of earlier decision making and, and I would do the same. I think there are challenges there that make it you know, women tend to be less forward in most circumstances. So I think there's some evidence that would suggest when, uh, you know, men are applying for new roles, they would apply if they have 60% of the competencies to match that role. Whereas women more often tend to to verge on being at least 100% competent to do the job. So there's something about the the natural levels of, I suppose, um, ability and, and perception of ability that I think there's lots of evidence to talk to. But I, I, honestly, I'm a great believer in, you know, it's the individual irrespective of gender. And do you have some advice, Peggy, to give to young women who aspire to senior roles in a male-dominated profession? Yeah, the main one would be to be yourself. So um, really have a think about who you are, what's important to you, what drives you, um, what are you passionate about, and quite often that would be also what you're good at. And then just double down on, on what you're really good at and what you're passionate about because if you enjoy what you do every day, it doesn't feel like work and you're probably really good at it as well and you will get to the results and you will get to those senior positions because you will stand out um, amongst the crowd. And Kirsty, did you have anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely. I think don't try to be someone that you're not. Don't be a, a, a follower and, and fit the mould. That's not to say you shouldn't make sure you you sort of are aligned to the company values and behaviours. That's really important. But absolutely find the best parts of yourself. Work on the parts that that need development. Seek feedback from people that you trust and also from people that you disagree with. Uh, and make sure you spend time on your personal development, which can be challenging because you, you're dealing with the day-to-day all of the time. But the personal development makes you a better contributor in the organisation and something that I think a lot of us um, tend to push down the agenda um, because it's hard to do and it can be confronting, but it's really important. So how important is networking then for a female executive and how different do you think it is to the way men would network? Yeah, it's extremely important. So um, Kirsty and I were just talking about it on our way here because that's how I met Kirsty. So I've I've done for the last couple of years, a bit less so now with the travel, but I've done these roundtables with uh, female execs from all different companies and we would come together and talk about the challenges we face and really get advice and help from each other. That's how I met Kirsty and I've met many, many women execs in, in Australia. But as a woman, I feel you tend to put that um, on the last position on the priority list, you tend to focus on the business first and then you have your health and your family and, and, and all of that. And networking always feels felt to me more like a nice to have. I think it is so important because men network all the time and for them it definitely comes at the top of the list. For women, not so. I think also because women are very focused on being efficient. Definitely the women with, with family. I think we just 
we want to get so many things done. And, and if it feels like a nice to have, you don't get to it. But now looking back at the networks I have built is I feel very uh, grateful. And those are the people I still think of and sometimes still connect with when I need advice around my career. And because they're in similar positions at similar levels in the organization, they can relate to the pressures you're under and the challenges you face. And you can have very open, honest conversations with those people that will really help you in your decision making. And then I think the the other part of networking is to find opportunities for yourself and for the organization you work for. And men are so good at leveraging that network where women are not. Mm-hmm. It's maybe, it, it's probably one of my mission to pick that up again and double down on it, not just in, in Australia, but also in, in APJ. And as Peggy said, we were just discussing that and I said, well, I agree. Peggy, I think, has been a real leader in this space. Um, she certainly um, made me prioritise my time in networking and really enjoyed the events that I attended with Peggy. So she's someone who's really um, putting her money where her mouth is and going going out there and doing it. And we've just talked about um, hosting the next event in our offices in Winkin in Sydney. So it, it's something that Peggy's absolutely right. It goes on the, I'll get to it when I can if I have time. But the importance of it is really great just from a building confidence, um, having sounding boards, but actually sharing um, ideas and innovations inside different organisations and different networks and sectors completely. So these types of things, I think for me, are, are something that actually Peggy stretched my thinking on in terms of how much time I commit to it and how important it is. Yeah, I think recently there's been a lot of talk about uh, work-life integration, work-life balance. And do you think that's also something different in the way that women approach it to the way men would? (laughs) I'm laughing because, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a parent. I have two kids. I'm a single parent. And I have these crazy hours with work and calling with Germany and America. My team is all over Asia. And it kind of is all I I can't I don't call it work-life balance. I do call it work-life integration because I want to do what is important to me. So if um, at 3.30 I have to pick up my kids and drive them to karate, I do that. And I watch them doing their karate lessons while I'm on a call with someone. And then I go home, make dinner, put them to bed, and I'm on another call. And it just kind of flows. And that's how I like it. I don't like these... um, uh, and everybody's different, right? But I'm not a person who likes nine to five and then you switch off and you get to your life. Mm-hmm. I don't look at it that way. My life is my life and every part is important. And I'd add to that, Luke, the, the, the sort of evolution of technology has really changed the, the working environment as well. You know, you're sending emails between 10 p.m. and, you know, any time that your alarm goes off in the morning now. It's hard to switch off from work. So I think the distinctions are really blurred now. I think... Um, work is a part of your life and I like the description of the the, the integration and the balance there is, is really is really spot on. Um, in terms of how you do that individually, I think my call out would be read your own signs and if you feel like something is out of balance, then it will be. So it, it's on you to seek um, sort of advice if you need it and support if you need it for how to get that balance back. And, you know, Peggy and I were just discussing that as say on the way here in terms of Sometimes work will take over and life will sort of fall down and you have to then very quickly correct that to make sure you you get the equilibrium back to where it needs to be. Great. So let's switch to talking about leadership. Obviously, you guys have both had long careers now. You've had a chance to observe a number of leaders. What have you seen in terms of leadership that works? 
So for me, I think the importance of good leadership is absolutely the ability to listen to people. I, I think I've used this phrase in a number of discussions, but, you know, we have two ears and one mouth and they should be used in that proportion. The opportunity to listen gives you the opportunity to learn, but it also gives you the opportunity to feel People express a lot of themselves when they take the opportunity to talk to you and share with you their views, whether it's on a thorny subject matter or whether it's on something personal in their life. And for me, the greatest leaders I've worked with are the people who've had fantastic listening skills. Um, Coupled with that, they have to be able to make tough decisions and those tough decisions have to balance up uh, commercial as well as I suppose, market evolution um, and the timing and the the sequence of events that are happening inside any organisation. So that um, commercial acumen and and ability to make decisions when when they're required, along with the ability to listen to the, I suppose, the heartbeat of the organisation and understand um, what's really happening as opposed to what you're being told is happening. Yeah, I would second everything you've just said. Maybe I'll just add on a couple of different things. Um, the, the first one there for me is get to know your people. So when I um, take over an, a new team or I'm working with different people, I always focus on getting to know them, understanding what drives them, what they're passionate about, because if you can align their day job or even their stretch projects with what they're really passionate about, it also for them doesn't feel like they're actually working, they're having fun. Mm. And that's really important. And then the other thing is to, as a leader, be open and honest and provide continuous feedback on what you see they're doing well, what they're not doing well, and where they can improve. And then the very last thing is providing a vision. I feel that when you lead teams, mm-hmm. they would like to be inspired and hear about what, where are we going as an organization? What do you see as a vision for this, for this um, uh, business unit? And if you can communicate that vision in the right way and you can bring them along on that journey that they want to be part of it, That's how you get your team with you. And have you seen any differences in the way that women lead over what the way that men would lead? Again, I I just go back to I think it's the individual. I've seen some amazing leadership skills in, in men and in women, and I've seen some dreadful ones in both men and women too. I think there can be some natural differences in terms of, you know, the dividing hormones that drive men and women and how they would behave on a, a on a spectrum but in terms of individual leadership skills and style I think it is about the individual not about the gender. I agree but I also do think that women naturally are more inclined to have an inclusive leadership style. Mm-hmm. If you think back of uh, I always try to simplify things if you think back Um, of the Stone Age, and the men went out hunting and the women stayed behind. For the women to survive and be successful and get food on the table for the kids, they had to work together. Mm. And I see women as as leaders, quite often they they would first collect input from the team and get the whole team on board before they would make decisions. That said, I have seen women making tough decisions as well and sometimes quite often actually you have to make them more on your own Mm -hmm. but I think that inclusive leadership is something for me that has come out more with women than with men. Okay let's talk about the future of leadership. Do you see the attitudes to women in leadership changing at all? I think there's definitely a a much more conscious view that it's it's important to have a good representation of 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 gender split in an organization and and I think it's to 
the ability to get the right balance within an organisation. Um, so I definitely think it's much higher in the agenda. The fact that we're here today having this conversation probably would um, would echo that. Yeah, I think there's definitely strides that are, are, are making it more important, but also there's changes in, in, as we talked about earlier, the the working environment that make it more accessible for women who traditionally have been in a care providing role to be able to balance the you know, the bringing up a family and potentially taking time off after maternity to return to work. Um, and these are things that, that historically or over a number of years previously were, were really sort of cast in stone in terms of the traditional approach. And I think I've seen a huge shift there in, 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 in how we are working together and what, what is considered the norm is quite different from that of the, the working position probably 20 to 30 years ago. I think there's still a lot we can do, but definitely uh, moving in a, in a in a direction of much more balance. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think also um, it's important to look at the different cultures. So as I have an APJ role, mm. I'm exposed a lot more to what's happening in these other parts of the world. And in Australia, I think we're definitely um, on the right track and there's a lot more openness and we've been quite vocal about this for a longer time. But I was in China not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and there it's still very different. So uh, females are not at the senior level. Um, they are looking at it. They are changing. But if you look at, for example, supervisory boards of uh, Chinese organizations, it's all men. Mm -hmm. So we still have a long way to go in the world. Most definitely. Yeah, and that brings us to a question around quotas. So often we hear about quotas at board level in particular. Um, what's your view about having quotas for women in senior roles? <laughs> yeah. um, I think it helps in the beginning, like when you're trying to incubate a, a new a new way of working and, and um a new yeah, just a new way of doing things, then it definitely helps. Like just just not long ago in Germany they um imposed that thirty percent of all board members should be female and I think it will go a long way. But ultimately if I really dig down in how I feel about this I feel more that it's the right position, right person for the position, not necessarily imposing a quota because ultimately for a company to be successful, you need to have the best people. And when I hire someone, I don't necessarily look at are they male or female. I more look at the position and what is needed to make this work. And then I pick the best candidate. Totally agree. How about you, Kirsty? Yeah, I'm with Peggy and you on that one. <laughs> um, I think it's the best person for the role, but... In saying that, there are circumstances where in order to get a, at least a, a, a sort of start, sometimes you have to seek other considerations. Um, but I really feel that can be challenging. And the best thing to do is, particularly if you're looking for, um, you know, to make a change yourself, is what kind of organisation do you want to work for? What are the, the sort of principles of that organisation? And and also to be a change agent inside the organisation that you're in to help drive that kind of activity. But yeah, right person, right role. So just to finish off, um, would you perhaps leave us with some thoughts about what you'd like to see happen in the future around having women in more senior roles? Peggy? What I really would like to see happening is that people are more comfortable being them, which means that they are in touch with who they are and their vulnerabilities. It, it, it all is linked to confidence, right? But I think if both men and women would be more real and have more empathy for other people and try to connect on a human level, I think that would go a, a very long way. And definitely for women, I think these limiting self-beliefs that I was talking about earlier, 
I see a lot of look. I see guys as well who have it. It's it's a human mm. condition, but I definitely see a lot of women, and it's holding them back. So I would love to see a world where people become free of their limiting self beliefs and uh, thoughts they have or judgments they have, and can just let go of that and do whatever they feel like doing. Yeah, and I think one of the ways to support that is sort of more structured mentoring programs I think in in SAP you've you've got a really good mentoring system in place but not all organizations have that and when it becomes a a nice to have as opposed to something that is encouraged and and is driven I think it can be harder to get that sort of um, gap closed so I, I would agree with with Peggy in the sense that People get to be themselves, get to be the best of themselves and potentially that we step up on the support framework that we have in our organisations to help um, women with that confidence and self-belief where they're struggling with it. Thank you both very much for joining us today and you've been listening to the Best Run Podcast. You've been listening to the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP. SAP.